Heavy Cardboard, episode 157, top 10 solo games. Coming to you from a lazy Thanksgiving pre-thanks-it-whatever-today-is. Welcome to Heavy Cardboard, where we talk medium and heavy strategy, board games, war games, 18xx, and other related topics in the board gaming hobby. We're your hosts. I'm Edward. I'm Liz from Beyond Solitaire. And I'm JT Bergstrom from Denver. All right. Now, here is where I would normally be like, oh, hey, welcome. Well, here, welcome, Liz. Welcome, JT. But y'all have been on the show. Uh, before so folks know you and if you don't know them go listen to the episodes in which they were on and then you'll know them all right cool uh thanksgiving plans what do y'all got so i uh i've got my in-laws coming my wife's family are coming in from park city utah and they're spending the weekend with us and i am going to be smoking two bacon wrapped turkeys on my traeger actually my traegers it takes more than one right now and uh they'll be with us all weekend we're also having a couple uh uh, older couples in our neighborhood who who don't have any family in town over for so we'll have all of our tables full tomorrow. A, that's awesome. Um, good on you for having well the fa- family's family, but having over folks that don't have a whole lot of extended family over that's awesome. And number two, um, so what? We, this is actually our second recording of this because technical <laughs> issues. But uh, earlier, JT had mentioned, yeah, I'm smoking these uh, sm- uh, bacon wraps, smoked turkeys, and I'm like. A, that sounds amazing, but now he had to rub it in. You notice he caught that. He was like, no, not Traeger, Traegers, as in plural, as in, no, Edward, I know you have none. I have multiple. <laughs> neener, neener, neener. I'm jealous. And dude, that bacon and the turkey sounds amazing, legitimately. It is. We went to this, the smoked turkey and the, the wrapping it all in bacon. You take the bacon off a little bit before once it starts getting crispy, but the bacon fat all over the turkey is really, really good. And we'll we'll spatchcock, oh we'll spatchcock the turkey so we we cut the the spine out of it and open it up so that it cooks really evenly and uh, we did it one year and we thought we're never going back. Oh, why would you? Because bacon makes everything better. It does. Well, so my true. Thanksgiving is the polar opposite in the sense that so I love Thanksgiving. It's my favorite holiday. It's the <clears> holiday <throat> that my boyfriend and I spend just us. So no one else gets to intrude on Thanksgiving. Um, so <laughs> he's working third shift tonight, so he'll sleep in tomorrow. So I'm gonna be nice and make sure that like Thanksgiving meal is cooked, but I don't have to work that hard because my grandma bought me like one of those heat and serve like Cracker Barrel Thanksgivings. So we're, I'm just gonna like put everything in the oven, let it run. And then we're going to be gluttonous and take extra naps after and just hang out. And that's, I love Thanksgiving for that. I will call my family and I love them very much. But, <laughs> but this is the holiday that is for me and for Robert. And we really treasure that. So that's, that's awesome. And I would have up until a week or two ago made fun of you about that idea because I absolutely love cooking and I love cooking Thanksgiving meal. I really, really do. And then you and I were talking, I forget what we were talking about previously. And you were talking about, yeah, I'm going to Cracker Barrel and getting, and I was like, what? No, don't do, I, we're, we're, we're getting it from a local diner, roast turkey dinner, and just <laughs> going to warm it up tomorrow. And I was like, and Jess was like, you know what? I would love to spend the day with you instead of you ha- spending the day in the kitchen. And I was like, I'm in, let's do that. So for the first time in my life, we're doing something like this and I feel a little bit guilty, but you know what? She was like, I just want to hang out with you and watch football. I mean, yeah, I'm in. 
I'm just wildly I'm undomesticated. That's my issue. So, <laughs> but you got that part right. What do you watch on Thanksgiving? Football. You watch football all day. Right. It's, that's what it's for. Yeah. And here's here's right. the problem with my in-laws because I know they won't listen to this. When they come, it is Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and Dog Show on my large screen TV, and I think you're ruining this. I do like the Dog Show, but I do as well. Oh. But see, there's a way there's a way around that, JT. See, we have two TVs downstairs. One is going to have the Macy's Day Parade and the Dog Show on it, and the other is going to have football. So there you go. One's muted Macy's Dog Show. The other one's not football. So and and I appreciate the, the Dog world. Show. I like the dog show. I don't like the dog show more than football. Exactly. And it's, it's not so much an issue of do I get to watch it or not. It's which TV is it on? Is it on the big TV or is it on my bedroom TV? Fair enough. See you all after the game. <laughs> I mean, we're, yeah. even, we're mostly a baseball and hockey household, but still, it's Thanksgiving. Right. It's <laughs> I, football and Thanksgiving. Right. Exactly. So, um, but next year. Uh, next year with the kids and stuff, uh, uh, they have been vegan their whole lives and, and now they're not, they, by their choice. And, um, so I'm going whole hog, uh, doing it upright Thanksgiving next year. I cannot wait. Yeah, do the bacon turkey. <laughs> if we're going I, to go. Seriously, I, I'm, I'm hoping to figure out a way to get a Traeger and, and JT, I will, I will, I will ask for recipe for that. Cause that sounds ridiculous. We'll do. So, um, board games. Yeah. Uh, so people in the guild have been asking and people in, in Slack and uh, I, over the course of the pandemic, I got into playing a whole lot of solo games as did, well, a whole lot of folks out there listening. And, uh, they were asking, Hey, can you make a top 10 solo, uh, game list and i was like honestly i don't feel really qualified to do it because when i was going through this list i now as of current time have played 13 solo only games and i've played 53 different uh multiplayer that can be played solo solo games uh like different titles and even so i don't feel anywhere close to qualified on my own to do that so i asked the two people that i know play more solitaire games than anyone else being liz and jt and i said hey do y'all want to do this and y'all responded well they're here so yes and then the discussion is how do we do this do we do solo only do we do games that can play solo that we like playing solo da 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 and i was like I don't know. What do y'all want to do? And I, I was like, what about two lists? And JT was like, hey, my in-laws are here. I'll take as much time <laughs> as you need. And Liz was like, I'm down. Whatever. I hate lists. But, I like but I'll you. do it. Fine. <laughs> Fair. So we're going to sit here for a few hours and, and talk a whole lot of games. Um, right. So let's start off. Uh, the top 10 solo only games. That's going to be the first list. The second list, which in my opinion is much more compelling and much more interesting, which is the top 10 games that have a crooked number on the box for number of players. So it goes from one to some other number that isn't one. That's going to be the second top 10 list. And we have no idea what each other's lists are. So there may be overlap. We haven't planned that out. We haven't coordinated that. I want to be surprised. And I thought... Y'all would want to be surprised as well. So 
So that's how we're doing it. Um, I think the only rule that we have here is it has to, well, two rules. It has to follow that. If it has a single number for one, then it's on this list. And the second one is it has to be published. So no prototypes for like Liz and myself, like Roman roll gladiators. I don't think that's released yet. So that one doesn't apply here. I want to add so that one can't thing. Be on the list. And what I want to add is that there are a couple in this list that are games that they added more players later, but I still feel like that's solo only. Okay, like it was originally designed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, things that are really right, for a hey. solo player, as opposed and, to we put the solo mode on after. Right. These are solo games first. And I and I'm gonna I'm gonna add a little caveat here. We had quite a discussion before this about what would qualify as a pure solitaire game. And I was looking through some of the games that I think are I still consider pure solitaire games. And some of those on the box will say one to two players because a lot of these solitaire games to appeal to a broader audience have said we'll make a two player set of rules. So there are there are actually four of them on my list that have said mm-hmm. and it's it's like you see usually happening in a multiplayer game where they'll say as an afterthought, oh, here's a solitaire add on that you can use. That's how I feel these games are, is that they're primarily solitaire games. And they've said in the rules on the blast page. By the way, you can play this two-player. And what it usually amounts to is splitting up the game into two halves and each player taking one of these two halves. So those I consider pure solitaire games as well. Well, damn, that would have made my job a whole lot easier had I done that. (laughs) All right. Well, I didn't. I did it truly like that. But I'll be honest also, I kind of have four lists. Um yeah, so here, here's, how, here's how I went about doing mine. Y'all talk about how you did yours, then we'll actually get into the list. Uh, so mine, I have, and I want to make sure I count it right, three, four, five. Yeah, I, I have only played 13 solitaire-only games. That's it. Out of those, honestly, I couldn't justify making a top 10 list. And why I say that is because eight of them, I don't think belong on that list they're not my favorite they're my only so therefore i made a top five list for the top 10 so when we get to five i'll join y'all in that however i have a list of truly solitaire only games of 18 games i'm not going to go into the discussion on them i'm going to mention them and if y'all want to expound on them because i y'all some of these y'all are going to have experience with please do so but I just want to either find out more about them or, or play them and, and check them out. So there's 18 on that. Then on the multiplayer games, well, we'll get there when we get there. So that's how I did this top 10 list because I only had 13 games. So one game that I'm thinking of that kind of fits JT's criteria that he mentioned was Peloponnesian War. That's a solo game. It is designed by Mark Herman to be played One player that plays both sides. The game is designed that way. However, it has a two on the box. So I then uh, put did it as a multiplayer, even though I know it's designed as a solitaire only game. So that's how I went about it. And so Peloponnesian War is not on this list. Otherwise, it would have been. All I hear is excuses. (laughs) Uh, Fine. So be (laughs) it. And and I think you'll be shocked. My number one pure solitaire game that I still consider pure solitaire actually says one to two players because there is a paragraph at the very end that says each of you take half and play one half of the solitaire game. 
and it's not like play one side or the other. You're both still playing against the game. I, I hope I I'm write not down disappointed. My guess of what it is. <laughs> oh, I, I, I everybody knows what my guess is going to be before I even say it, and I'm hoping I'm right. But I'm I'm I, I'm waiting on pins and needles to find out. I think that's a good sign. We should right. start. Okay, so do you all have like honorable mentions or any crap like that? Uh, I have a couple honorable mentions, but I'm going to, uh, well, just two really that I think were so close to being on my list, but I'll save those for the right before number Afterwards. one. Okay, or, or that. That works, too. I like that. All right, cool. Um, uh, You know what? Let's just go clockwise. I'll, I'll, I'll start, but I don't get to join until number five. Okay. Um, all right, so so number 10, uh, solo-only games with the caveats that they have mentioned. Go for it, Liz. All right, so this is my number 10 on this list. I like it a lot. I actually like all the games on my list. I feel really comfortable saying that. Uh, but it also kind of stands in for a couple games from this publisher. I put for my number 10, Black Sonata. I love it because it's so smart. It is so smart. It is a solo hidden movement game. Like, how? I had never thought that was really going to happen. I used to joke that I could, like, pretend that I could put Fury of Dracula or something on my top solo list and just see who got mad because like, you know, that wasn't a, a mechanism that you could enjoy as a solo player. But now we have Black Sonata. It's so good. And it, the, the, the period it's set in is so neat because you're looking for the dark lady from Shakespeare's sonnets. So it's like a literary game and it's clever and the expansions are pretty good. And um, I also like, you know, Siderim's done a couple other good solos. So my key is good, but it gets old. So I didn't put it on the list. Oh, there it is. And um, Orchard is cute, and you can just keep it in your... I'm, I, being a woman, carry a purse everywhere, or a bag, and uh, put it in there, and it just lives in there. That's where my copy of Orchard... Yep, there we go. That's where my copy of Orchard lives. <laughs> All right. So, so I... that Hey, that's one I know, and I, I was quite smitten with it, and I... It's funny. Um, I borrowed... Uh, Shrey's copy because I don't have Black Sonata and he was like hey check this out you may or may not like it I ended up loving it I thought it was great so yeah I am I'm quite smitten with Black Sonata how about uh, well I JT you may talk about this later you may or may not I don't know so I'll, I'll give it away this, these are on my honorable honorable mention list but uh, I really like Black Sonata McKee I like uh, what you said is is pretty spot on that it's, it's one that I can only play a couple times in a row. I can play black Sonata over and over and over. Um, mm -hmm. And then orchard is my go-to. I'm in a boring video conference at work game because I can just set it up right in front of my screen. No one knows I'm playing yep. it and it just keeps my mind from completely falling asleep, but it's a great little game. I've never heard of Orchard. I wrote it down. So I get to learn about all these too. So I'm, I'm legit. Like I'm doing this as much for the folks out there as much as I am for me because I'm super stoked to learn about these. All right. So Liz, Black Sonata, number 10. Yes. JT. So my number 10 is Nemo's War. And mm -hmm. I, I like Nemo's War. I want to love Nemo's War. But Nemo's War does not love me back. Uh, it's it has got a lot of dice rolling in this game, but it's all very thematic. Unfortunately, you're rolling the dice every turn, so um, it's not like there's only a couple dice rolls that can really hose you over in this game. However, some of them can be really consequential. You can basically push your luck a little bit with your the 
the integrity of your ship or your crew and you can have a really bad role that just goes sideways and, and can set you off for the rest of the game. But what I really love about Nemo's War is the different ways to play it. So it's not setting up and playing the same adventure every time. But instead, you take a different role with the captain. You can be either emphasizing uh, fomenting rebellion or I think that's called imperialism. Um, war, so you're trying to sink as many ships as you can. Science, where you're trying to score these science points in the game and, and collect treasures. And then there are a couple new roles that I haven't even played yet that are coming in the expansion that hopefully delivers from Kickstarter someday. Um, but each one of those really drastically changes the way that you play the game entirely. And so it's like having a bunch of different solitaire games in one with the same core system. Uh, so I've, I am terrible at this game. I, I think I press my luck way too often instead of playing it safe. And then that bad die roll comes and um, I'll even be known to take a mulligan or two on this game if it's terrible because it's a solitaire game and no one can accuse me of cheating. Right. But it's unless you're streaming it. Yes, that is true. Yes. There you I go. I support your choices, JT. It's okay. If it's if you're by yourself, you're hurting no one. Right. It's like I, I remember Mark Herman saying this once about Peloponnesian War, which I'll get to later. Um, there are some rules questions with that game. And, and then he said, well, look, it's a solitaire game. Just choose the way you want to play it and play it. So, yeah. And and the big thing on that is his big thing that he, he said uh, when he and I sat down for an interview was, look, as long as you're not circumventing the the spirit of what the game is trying to do. Enjoy the game. Exactly. That's that's it, right? So that's my number 10, Nemo's War, which I think is... Well, and, and, I haven't checked it, but I'm pretty sure that is a one-player-only game. It, it, yeah, it, it's like they added a second player option that's like a bunch of BS that nobody ever would bother to play that I can think of. Sorry if yeah. that's actually your favorite way to play Nemo's War, but I don't know why. <laughs> I, I, I've never heard of anybody that plays it two-player, so I, I look, I'm not going to fault you on that. That said, I did follow the rules. It, it will be in my other list because of that, even though I have no idea how the hell you play it two-players. I have no clue. I don't know why you would. Why would you know no. that? <laughs> Yeah, I have no clue. But yeah, it's with all the two that would have made my life a whole lot easier if I could have taken some of these out and put them on this list. With all the two player games out there, who in the world is going to come over and say, let's play Nemo's War together? Let's both get right. yeah, no. That said, <laughs> I used to play like video games with my brother where he would play and then I would comment or the other way around, if that makes sense. Like, I think or like Mike Kelly and I, the first time we met in person, we played Final Girl together because we were sharing a demo copy. And like, basically, we just kind of took turns deciding who to roll. And it was absolutely one of the funnest gaming experiences I've ever had. So I'm not saying it's not possible, but um, it's not. The but that's one. but but that's the thing. You're still playing it solitaire. Yeah. You're just teaming up with somebody to make a the decisions there. So that's still solitaire. So, no, I hear you because my most anticipated game, arguably, since I've been in this hobby um, I anticipate playing it that way with Jess, so I'm really looking forward to that, and I'm going to talk about it later. So that's why I'm. <laughs> Is this an un unpublished um, game from GMT? Uh, it it you yes. <laughs> it Have is. you been anticipating it for like a decade now? Uh, what feels like it's been like at least three years. Yes, that would be it. number nine all right so my number nine uh this is a game it took me forever to fully get around to playing a lot because the rules are a mess and i acknowledge that but i love warfighter from dan Brisson games 
I really do. Um, that is a fun game. Uh, you get to basically put some soldiers together to complete a mission. You outfit them. You have limited points to use. And I get, I really like that style of game where you're deciding how to allocate resources. And, you know, do I want two guys that are really powerful or do I want to get some, you know, kind of like little cheaper guys to throw at the problem? What do I want to do? And, you know, to me, that's always really exciting. And, you know, the fact that the game has added different time periods and like stealth elements and all those sorts of things. It's just such a cool system. If you're willing to deal with the fact that the rules are messy, uh, then you will have a great time. (laughs) I'm so glad that that's on your list because it's not on mine because I haven't played it yet, but it is number one on my list of games that I want to try. And it has, it's got like 50 expansions for it, right? Yeah, there's like, there's so many Warfighters. I've got one like just sitting here because I need to like crack into some. <laughs> so there's tons of little, tons of little boxes and expansions and stuff to to add on. And I feel like that's part of what has kept me from getting into it. Is I see the Kickstarters come up and it'll be like four new expansions for Warfighter, and I think I don't even have Warfighter. So, uh, <laughs> it, if you were going to have somebody get into it, what would you tell them to buy? Um, I would say just buy the standard warfighter modern strategy card game it's got the green box don't get the special ops one until you play the regular one i don't think personally because i i feel like that just adds things to the core system or if you like world war ii then start with that um you know it's 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 sort of time period based in that sense i like the modern one because that's the kind of warfare you know i i play a lot of world war ii games but sometimes i need a, a breather uh but if you're a world war ii person that's what i start with otherwise just start with the regular old modern one and for me, I ha- no matter whether it's a, almost exclusively, whether it's video game or board game, I don't like super tactical, uh, like that, uh, like squad level or uh, uh, individual level um, war game. It's just never been my, my thing. So Warfighter has never, ever appealed to me. But that said, I appreciate it for those that do. And I hear you. There there are some of these games that I have on this list where I'm like, the rules are... <laughs> but it's still there um, in spite of that. And that just has got to speak to how good of an experience it is, even if the rules frustrate the hell out of you. Yeah, we'll get to one of those games on my list. <laughs> All right. And uh, on this, uh, I, I should also point out, I think, and I don't want to speak out of line, but I think the overwhelming majority of these solo only games are probably going to be war game centric. Um, there, there are exceptions to that, but the overwhelming majority of solitaire only design games tend to be war games. So keep that in mind. And as we go on, so uh, JT, you're number nine. Yeah. And I think I'll just say a little bit about my criteria for ranking a solo game. When I play a solo game, I I have a hard time really getting excited about playing an efficiency Euro style solitaire game where my goal is just to take efficient actions, efficient actions and try and beat my previous high score. So I like there to be some sort of narrative, some kind of story that you're playing along with. um, So that when you can get done, you can look back and say, you know, here are all the events that happened in that game. You can give an after action report if you're into writing those kind of things but that tends to lend itself to more i would say fantasy style games or war games that's fair so i don't i don't mean to limit my list to these type of games it's just what i enjoy playing most of all i I mean and and for the anyone listening this is three people's opinions on this there is a whole lot 
of other games out there, like go explore. But hopefully this at least gets the 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 ball rolling for some folks out there. Yeah, I'm actually going to take this moment to plug the People's Choice Top 200 list on the One Player Guild on Board Game Geek every year. Solo players vote, and Kevin Erskine, the hero of our people, puts the list together. And, <laughs> and so if you want just some easy suggestions, like what are people saying they really, really like? Guess what? Go check out that list because there were like 200 different games and somebody put as their number one game this past year. The options are endless. Yeah, yep. for sure. It's a good it's a very good list for finding the multiplayer solitaire games, uh, the multiplayer with solitaire mode games. I find a lot on there that I'm, I wasn't aware were that good to play solo because that's not how they were primarily designed but uh, i agree all right all right so my number nine is agricola Ooh. but not the agricola with farms it is agricola i know <laughs> master of britain which was endlessly confusing for me when i was first hearing about this game it was a podcast with uh um the designer and they were saying how you know agricola was this uh, general, and I can't even remember the story behind this game, I'll be honest, so I'm going to embarrass myself on this, but it took me forever to figure out he wasn't talking about Agricola from Rosenberg. Uh, Agricola Master uh, Master of Britain is a solitaire game from Hollenspiel, and there are a couple other games that this is also standing in the place of there. There's Charlemagne and some other games that I think are, are very similar to this. I haven't played, I played Charlemagne, but I haven't played some of the newer ones they've published. Um, but I think I still would wars of Marcus Aurelius fit in that as well. Uh, so we're talking about Amabel Holland's like cup drawing games. So she's got three right. of those in the series. So she did Agricola first and then Charlemagne, uh, master of Europe. And then the most recent one, which I haven't tried, but I'm kind of curious about it, is Aurelian, uh, master of the world. That's the so one. yeah, she's got these kind of interesting chip pull, like to mimic public disfavor mechanisms going on. Exactly. And then Stilico and Marcus Aurelius are by Robert Dulesky. And don't worry, that'll, that'll come up. Good. <laughs> right. It will. <laughs> yeah, so so Liz really hit on the key mechanic in this game that I think is so interesting is that you're, you have three different cups. And they are, one is all of the tribes in England that, that are hostile towards you. Uh, you have all the tribes that are kind of neutral and then all the ones that are somewhat friendly. And so a lot of the mechanics in the game, when you suppress rebellions or when you're, uh, you know, bribing these tribes or, or pacifying, I think is the word they use. What you're doing is really reaching in these, these cups and moving tribes back and forth between them. You want to have as few tribes as you can in the hostile cup or the tribes that are in there, you want to be the relatively weak ones. So a lot of the game is, is dealing with the situation on the board. Uh, but the interesting part is dealing with the situation off the board that are in these cups and trying to maintain the right balance between these. Um, the other thing that I really like about this game is you're going to roll the dice about 5,000 times. Every battle, you're lining up your your line of, of troops and, and against the line of barbarians, and, uh, and then you're rolling the dice for each one of them, And which which is great because when you're rolling the dice that many times, your your, your die rolls are going to even out. Uh, and none of them are, are particularly consequential. You lose one. And that's the difference right there between, say, this and a Nemo's War. Well, no, you, because right? you roll the dice in Nemo's War all the time, and clearly it's never evened out for JT. No, <laughs> <laughs> no but I feel I feel like in Nemo's War, you can roll the dice good 10 times, and then you roll it good, bad like twice in a row, and you're screwed. And so this you're not wrong i I get what you're saying there you're right i get that and they're less like an individual result in agricola master of britain it is less consequential and it will have less 
massive impact than it will in a game like Nemo's War. So I get what you're saying there. Yeah, I, I mean, for <clears throat> when I look at dice rolling and, and the the effect that it has on the game as far as randomness is concerned, I deal with it in a war game because I realize it's simulating the uncertainty of war and, and everything that's going on in the battlefield that you can't put on the, the game board. Uh, so I'm totally fine with it there as an outcome determinative kind of die roll that has some randomness involved. Um, but when I'm playing solitary, it's a little bit different because I feel like I'm trying to play against this game and the dice can just screw me over and I can't do anything about it. And I get that feeling much more from Nemo's War than I do with Agricola, just because, as I said, the individual die rolls, it's, it's one unit against one unit. They kill my unit. The next one from the reserve steps up. And I've realized that's going to happen on average, you know, maybe three out of 10 times. When, and on a bad roll, it's going to happen five out of 10 times. And on good rolls, I'm going to beat everybody. So I, I, I go into it knowing those odds and you can, you can kind of plan around that. With Nemo's War, I feel like sometimes you risk different parts of your ship or you'll use one of your crew members and you'll think, all I got to do is not roll a three. And you roll a three and you want to throw the game out the window. That said, I still, you know, it's still on my top 10. <laughs> sure. Because <laughs> I, I like the story and I like the different ways that it plays. But that's my, my one problem with it. Fair enough. So your number nine, Agricola Master of Britain, would have been my number six, FYI. So there's that. All right, my number eight. This is a perhaps unusual choice because um, I went for... It's not a board game per se. It's an RPG. Uh, I love 1,000-Year-Old Vampire by Tim Hutchings. If you've not tried 1,000-Year-Old Vampire, you've got to play 1,000-Year-Old Vampire. It's literally a journaling game where you create a vampire in a time and place of your choosing and stuff happens to your vampire like prompt by prompt and you basically create the story of this vampire until you inevitably are destroyed. And it's a bizarrely moving game for something that's that dark. But I also just really like how creative it makes me become like uh i think my favorite vampire ever made was uh since i think about gladiator games a lot right like i created a female uh lanista who had a gladiator school and she hid her vampirism for many years by eating wounded gladiators and just saying that they couldn't make it and that they had died and like her life continued from there <laughs> and so if you want something that's kind of creative and meditative and like just different i think thousand year old vampire is probably the best solo rpg ever played I've never, I mean, well, this isn't like my wheelhouse here. I've never, but now I'm oddly, oddly intrigued by this. Highly recommend. Uh, ben Maddox has done some playthroughs if you want to see somebody playing it. Um, I know that Shut Up and Sit Down loved it too. I mean, basically, if you, if you, if you fall under his vampiric spell, you will spend a bunch of time having a great time being all dismal and vampiric and having, you know, uh, some very strange adventures that you have to make up yourself. Okay. So are there other, I have never tried a solitaire RPG and I think RPGs in general, I, I haven't given a lot of time to because I still, I'm probably under the sway of my mom who banned me from playing Dungeons and Dragons back in fifth grade after she watched that Tom Hanks show on TV. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that horrible show where he gets sucked into Dungeons and Dragons and can't tell the difference yes. between reality and, and the game. And oh. uh, watch it on YouTube. Um, it's it's so bad, but it's horrible. Also, a strange piece of pop culture. <laughs> but I can't tell you how many moms at my school watched that and said, "Oh, you throw away those Dungeons and Dragons books right now." That's horrible. My grandma was a total satanic panicker, 
And so, yeah, I was told that I should never play Dungeons and Dragons because I might be possessed by a demon. Too bad. I was already possessed. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so are there other solo RPGs besides the Thousand Year Old Vampire that would make somebody's list? Um, there are actually, there's a huge community of people who do solo RPGs. Actually, the, the best expert on them I can think of is in your chat right now. It is Deborah from Geek Gamers. Uh, and she covers a whole lot of it on her channel. So go check out Geek Gamers, those of you who are seeing that link to her channel in the little, the scroll. All right, I'm, um, I'm, I'm writing that down. Okay. But, um, you know, there's, I actually really like Four Against Darkness. Marco Arnado, the, um, Formerly Marco Wargamer, now uh, Marco Omnigamer, did a really fun, like, Cthulhu Lovecraftian uh, Four Against Darkness spinoff that has amazing, like, Lovecraft references. It's so good. Um, you know, there's... Uh, oh, God. it's uh, The PNP community has a lot of them. I know Travis Hill has done some, like, kind of quirky, experimental solo games that are meant to, like, create emotional experiences. Um... Yeah, actually, honestly, that's an area where I should be spending more time. But seriously, Deborah's the pro. Uh, go check out Geek Gamers because she will. Know. All right, yeah. Um, so Raphael in chat says, uh, "Iron Sworn is another great solo RPG." And uh, some folks are saying, "Okay, that's cheating because you could choose, uh, do a lot of choose your own adventure type." And he says, "The Way of the Tiger series is another really good one." So there you go. Hey, you know what? So what if it's cheating? Have some fun with it and. It, if it turns people on to something that they wouldn't have otherwise known about that they enjoy winning. All right. So thousand year old vampire. I, and, and go check out the video of on uh, geek gamer or geek gamers, plural. Sorry, Deborah. All right, JT, you're number eight. Number eight. So I have to, to apologize on this one because I realized this morning that this is not a one player game. So I'm going to substitute. <laughs> I y'all just fail at this. this. So, I'll, I'll tell you what was originally in this spot. It's a game called Gloom of Killforth. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. So this is one, I, I honestly, I've played it solitaire dozens of times, and I didn't even remember that it was a multiplayer game. Um, so I, I, I'll, I'll say a little bit about it, but then I'll substitute in a real one-player game for this. But uh, All right, so what, hold on, what was the name of it? Gloom of Killforth, and there's now a, okay. a sequel to it that adds more content called Shadows of Killforth. <clears throat> I think it's designed by Tristan Hall. Mm-hmm. And this is a game, it's kind of a fantasy adventure game. It's explore and, and fulfill quests and then f defeat the final evil bad guy at the end of it. Uh, you set up a deck of, I think it's a five by five grid of cards on the map on your tabletop. And then each of those represents a location. And you're moving around the locations to tackle different uh, enemies that pop up or out potential allies or finding items and um the game is slowly counting down. So if you've ever played, um, oh shoot, I can't remember the name of this, but uh, it's it's a kid's game where you're on an island, Skull Island, and, and the, the tiles keep disappearing and sinking into the ocean. That's kind of how this is, is that each, um, each of the cards, each turn, you're going to flip one of these cards over and it catches the gloom that's coming over to Killforth. Uh, and so you have a timer built into the game. And if you're stuck on one of these gloom tiles, you start losing health. Um, but this is a game, and, and here's why I like it, because... You can play the whole thing start to finish in, in maybe two to three hours. Um, it's it's one that every time I finish playing, I think, all right, I'm going to put this away. But instead, I set it up and I play another game of it. I played three games of this in one day and completely blew off work. Um, it, it's just really, it's really addicting. It really grabs you and makes you want to keep playing it over and over again. So when I put this one back in the box, it's honestly, it's hard for me to, to 
put it all away and put it back in the box because I think oh, I just want to do one more of these. Um, the, the only downs, and that's your number eight, dude. I can't wait to hear about the rest of these. I'm <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So it's it's the downside of it is the narrative that you have to build in this game. You have to kind of work at it. it doesn't come. It doesn't come naturally from the game itself. It has some quests, but you have to kind of in your head build the story up around how these quests fit in together and what the story is behind it. So, you know, I try to do that just so that it's a little bit more fun. But if you are looking at the game from a purely mechanical level, you can say, okay, I need one of these items and I need one of these types of allies and I'm going to go here and I'm going to go here. And here's where the probability of getting this guy is the highest. And um, you can play it very mechanically if you want to, but I, I choose not to. It just takes a little more work. So that is my number eight that turns out is is a multiplayer game that I'm sure someone out there plays multiplayer. Uh, <laughs> no one I know. <laughs> of Killforth. All right. So I'm going to sub in with this. One of them that I kind of went back and forth on putting on my list. Now, I'm going to count this as a solitaire because it's really two games in one. It's a it has multiplayer. It's a two player game. And then there is a solitaire game, a separate rule book, a separate thing. So I count this as multiplayer game and then solitaire version of this game that they could have as far as i'm concerned just reprinted as a solitaire game but this is a new game this year one of my favorites has been released this year called atlantic chase uh, oh i want to play that so bad it's it's sold out incredibly quickly um, but i think they're doing a reprint for sure uh atlantic chase is you've got a map of the atlantic and this is back in world war ii and it is i describe it as heisenberg's uncertainty principle of the game because you are taking the role of somebody either in london or in berlin or in washington dc planning these routes that you are you know that your ships are taking but you don't know when and where they are exactly on the board so you're drawing out here's my trajectory going from the united states over to london and your your opponent in this case the solitaire system in the game knows where that is and it will try and intercept that route but it doesn't know where your boat is along that route. So when it gets there, it will it can do some searches where it's it tries to shrink the size of your trajectory and kind of shrink the unknown area where your boat could be down to a smaller area until it finally pinpoints a location. And then on your turn, you move and draw a new trajectory and and spin that out. But it's it's such a it's probably one of the most unique systems that I have played, and that's why I like it so much. Is it's different from anything else I have ever ever played with. It has a whole book of solitaire scenarios that they have. Uh, kind of a flow chart that run, runs how your opponent plays. It's incredibly difficult, uh, but it's it's been it's been really interesting. And I I wanted to put this on my list. I don't know how much staying power it has. I don't know if um, once I play through all these scenarios, if it's something that I'll want to keep for just a solitaire purpose. It's it's a fun multiplayer game, but um, the solitaire I've, I've had a really good time with so far. So that's my my substitute in on top of Gloom of Killforth since I I messed that up. All good. All good. All right. So Gloom and Killforth and Atlantic Chase. And ironically, Atlantic Chase is on my list of games that I want to check out, like that I consider solo. So, yeah, I hear you. Cool. I'm a, good. Glad to hear that it's interesting. I'm P500ing that like right now. <laughs> All right. So, Liz, you're number seven. Let me just jump back in with with Atlantic Chase. The designer, Jerry White, has two other solitaire games that I did not put on my list. Uh, Storm Above the Reich and, and I think Skies Above the Reich. I had one of those. I ended up selling it. It was a game that I that just didn't have enough interesting decisions for the player to make. It was one you were more along for the ride with. But I will yeah. give him props as having the very best tutorial learning rule books in the business. And his his rule books are fantastic. 
they're they're long and they're big, but they have a lot of examples. And Atlantic Chase, every concept in it is so new and so hard to grasp mentally at first. He walks you through these kind of tutorial scenarios where you play a little scenario of the game and see how this thing works. It's just like a video game, like you're walking through and learning how to play. So uh, the first couple of days I had it, I just went through the tutorial and then you know everything there is to know about the game and you understand it. So really easy to learn. Cool. Dig it. Excellent. Thanks for giving me time to finish my P500 order. All right. So... <laughs> number i can't count seven. it's seven okay yes uh my number seven is hostage negotiator from uh van rider games i love hostage negotiator i played a bunch of different inductors there are so many little expansion packs you can get the career expansion that lets you like string together multiple encounters and basically you are literally i mean it's kind of a dark theme i guess but oh well uh but you are you are a hostage negotiator you are trying to get hostages free and capture the abductor and the game has different abductors that you can play with who have vastly different mechanisms. So there's one that causes the hostages to develop Stockholm Syndrome. There's one who is an angry teacher who's lost it because she didn't get tenure. So that's pretty on the nose. Uh, there's like some twins that are different to negotiate with depending on which twin you get on the phone. Um, there's one that's like a speed homage. It's really cool. And... Um, you know, if that's a theme that doesn't freak you out, it's really enjoyable to like, you know, you have these cards. It's like a hand building game, I guess, where you have conversation points that you can use to purchase cards. But once you play them, you have a cool off round before you can use them again. So you have to be budgeting what you can use and thinking about, you know, how much risk do I want to take? There's a lot of die rolling, but you can think a lot statistically about what you are trying to achieve. And um, it is just a really neat system. And it's on my mind mainly because there's a new it's it's the same system, but with updates. I think it's going to be better. It just came. I just started messing with it. It's Final Girl. So Final Girl uses a very similar system to Hostage Negotiator. But in this case, you are the final girl in a horror movie and you can like mix and match final girls, locations and horrible uh, opponents who are trying to murder your face. And so so. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. no. Basically, instead, if you don't if you don't want to try to rescue hostages, you can instead try to defeat a, a great evil that is trying to uh, eliminate you as the final girl in your own horror movie. After one of the streams this week, uh, Derek, I, I forget which stream it was. Um, somehow we got on the topic of final girl and both final girl and hostage negotiator, both on my want to try list that that was on my list of 19 games that I want to try. So, yeah, I have not heard of Final Girl, but that's good to know. I have played this just the dickens out of my copy of uh, Hostage Negotiator. I keep that in my desk at work in a drawer. And so when I am bored at work, I will open the drawer and I will play Hostage Negotiator. It plays very quickly, like 15 minutes in a game. Uh, but it's it, it, I, I went all in on the Kickstarter a couple of years ago. And so there's what I, I still have a couple of doctors I haven't even played yet, but it's a lot of fun. All right, so JT, you're number seven. My number seven, and here's the game that I teased earlier that has, I think, I would say the biggest mess of a rule book uh, out of any. So it's, it, I think it trumps Warfighter by far, but it's a game called Fields of Fire from GMT. <laughs> it's, 
It's a game. I have heard that it is completely it. and 100% oh. impenetrable. Yes, the, the rule book. And also another game on my want to try list. So, all right. So this is the game for me that I, I have only played twice because I, I think those are the only two plays that I'm going to count as being real plays because the rest I would classify more as fumbling through the mechanics and realizing I've screwed half the game up and quitting. So it's, I mean, <laughs> let's just, I only, uh, anybody that either uh, learns games for their group or, or is a solitaire player is laughing right now. Cause they, they can relate to that. I mean, let's just look here. So the, the forums on BGG have over 3000 entries for a game that maybe has sold 3000 copies. And it's, uh, the rule book is 60 pages of um, terminology that I don't understand half the time. Uh, it, it's, it's really hard. So I'll stop complaining about the rule book. Just know that if you do want to play this, there's a boot camp series of videos online. And just yesterday in the GMT update, they are trying to retool this rule book. They have a bunch of people looking at it that are trying to aggregate all of the errata and FAQs and everything. I don't know how you do that since there's 3000 questions on BGG, but, um, taking all the answers to these questions, they've gone to the designer and gotten answers for all of them. But they're trying to put together a real rule book for this that is something that is playable. So Fields of Fire is a, it's World War II, there's Vietnam, there's a couple different eras that follow this one military unit through different conflicts. There's Korean War, but it is a company level, I would say, uh, command and control game where on your turn, you're basically getting a certain number of commands that you can spend on your units. And so you have to maintain your lines of communication. You have to maintain um, uh, uh, some sort of signal with each of these units so that you can tell them what to do. And they get their own smaller number of commands on their own, but they're limited in what they can do. So it's it's saying that if they somehow get out of, out of range of your command or they're pinned down or something that prevents them from getting orders from their, their XO or their, their uh, commanding... <clears throat> commanding officer that now they have a much limited, much more limited sense of, of what they can do. But this is, is simulating a very tactical, um, a, a tactical kind of conflict uh, at the company level. And it's, it's one that is really hard, but the two games that I think I played mostly correctly were just awesome. They, they give you a real sense uh, of, of how this would feel. And you, you get kind of attached to these units where you have one that's, that's, you've got to pull your, your wounded soldiers out. You've got to take care of everybody. You can't just you know sacrifice anybody as abstractly as you can in other games. I think um, it's a real, real narrative, very strategic. There is some, some randomness in the game, but that's to be expected in a war game like this. But this is one that I think when the real rule book comes out and there is a more definite set of, of steps in learning this game, it will probably move up my list because with all the and boy, it was a lot of work. I'm telling you, it was like a week of going through every day, reading this rule book, watching videos, setting it up, trying to play it, figuring it out. Uh, I hope that it will be worth the investment. But right now, it you better you better <laughs> want to learn this game to be able to learn it, and that's why I haven't bothered because I know the investment yeah. that it would take is just beyond what I'm willing to give it at this point. Yep. And I I would say don't try until a new rule book is released because it is. I think it is worth it. It was worth it to me when I finally got those two plays in and people who really are into this game say it's, it's one of their, it is their favorite solitaire game. Um, but you know, if it's going to be easier in a year, wait, wait a year. Yeah. Agreed. 
And again, I, I'm not big on tactical level stuff, but the, uh, uh, the c- command and control aspect of the game is what appeals to me of it. So we'll see how it goes. And there's, there's a ton of content in this game. Each, the, the Normandy mission, the Vietnam, Korean War, they each have, I think, 10 different missions in it. And they're all different types. So some are holding ground, some are rescue missions, some are um, advancing to, to different objectives. So there are a bunch of different ways to play the game and a bunch of different scenarios that you play out. And they are, um, I think they're releasing a Battle of the Bulge um, expansion coming up. They have Fields of Fire 2, which adds another 30 30 uh scenarios that you can play so there's there's a lot of content here which i think would justify the learning curve of this game uh just know that it's it's a probably the biggest learning curve by far of any game on my list which is impressive considering you're number one My number six is uh, a bag builder. Um, for a long time, we only had coffee roaster, but then Warp's Edge came, and I really, really like it as a solo-only game. I still pull it out for a quick round. It is basically a, it's like a sci-fi bag builder where you're putting tokens in your bag that allow you to beat up <laughs> different uh, different ships. And so basically the idea is that you go through certain warps in order to power up. And you're supposed to beat a big boss at the end. But every ship that you can play has special abilities and different stats. Every boss that you can play has some sort of trick that makes them different to play with than all the other bosses. And I just think it's a lovely solo game that is just so doable. It's not that expensive. Um, and yet it takes up a lot of time on my table and it gets a lot of attention from me even... God, when did I play it? Like a year ago? Longer? It's a it's a good one. I really like it. I was actually talking about it with Mike Kelly this morning because even though I don't like lists, we got together to talk about deck builders. So, <laughs> uh huh. Mm-hmm. We all say we don't like lists yet. They make such everybody a good. Everybody ex- likes candy. They do. Hey, everybody likes candy. Uh, how about you, uh, JT? Your number six. My number six, and this might be a good time for you to start unload- unloading on the State of Siege games because uh, this is not one. But it is as close to a siege style game that I'm going to to get to. Uh, this is Pavlov's house. So it's designed by David Thompson. It's part of what they call the I think Valiant Defense series. It's the first in the series. Pavlov's house. The second one was Castle Itter. Castle Itter. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. Itter. Yep. Uh, which is uh, what uh, USGIs and the Germans versus the SS. Right. Yep. So it's. Uh, uh, this castle where there were French hostages and the, the U.S. and the Germans both combined in this castle to hold off the SS uh, advancing troops to protect the, the French hostages. So um, and then the third one is what is it? Soldiers in Soldiers. postman's uniforms, right? Yeah, I have not played that one yet. And there is a new one that's coming up on Kickstarter um, that I think is called Lazarus Ridge, which looks really good. Yeah, I don't know how you pronounce it, Lazaranth, but well, I'll just I'll just uh, give everyone a little. I don't do many Kickstarter previews, but I do David Thompson previews, so I'm actually gonna be filming that this weekend. Yeah, it's good. And, it's good. <laughs> and and David Thompson does nothing but crank out really good games. So there's another one that I have not yet played by Stealth and by Sea, which is a solitaire game um, that I, I is on my list of things to play, and most importantly. 
the uh, the expansion for the Undaunted Normandy and North Africa games is coming out, which has a solitaire mode that I will buy as soon as it can possibly get to my mailbox. Um, oh yeah. So so about Path Love's House, why this is kind of a all of these games are a little bit of that siege style game where you are in the center and you have different tracks of enemies that are coming in and you have to prevent them from advancing on these tracks until they get to your center location. So Pavlov's house is the story of this house in the invasion of Stalingrad in the Eastern front of world war II. And they are, as a group of Russian soldiers who are holding this location in this house with their commander Pavlov, uh, which is, I suppose where the house gets its name. And uh, what makes this game interesting is the center of the board is your traditional six tracks of Germans that are moving in towards the house on the, the right side of the board though, is a more strategic level view of the area where you are. It's almost like a separate game where you are uh, trying to maintain your anti-aircraft guns. You're trying to keep your artillery in line. You're trying to maintain your lines of communication. You have this flotilla that you're, you're loading up with supplies, ammo, food, troops that are going into to Pavlov's house to keep them in supply. Uh, and the first portion of every turn is is you trying to keep these things alive while the German Stukas come in and bomb them. Uh, and you can lose the game on that side. If you, you lose too many of these locations, then the game will be over. Uh, and then more importantly, what I think is most interesting about this game, the left side is a zoomed in view of Pavlov's house, like inside the house. Uh, of Inside the house, right. I'm looking at it as you're talking about it. Yeah. yeah, inside the house, individual locations on windows, like this guy goes over and sits at the radio station and this guy goes and mans the anti-tank gun that you have. And so the, the best part of the game for the player is that you're, you're making decisions on where do I put these guys, which window locations. And you have to be careful because certain sides of your building will start to lose their structural integrity as they get hit by artillery and attacks. So you might say, well, I need I need this guy. There's one, I forget his name, I think it's Chekhov, who is your sharpshooter. And, and you just love putting him on a corner, but that makes him very vulnerable. And, you know, you, you really take that risk of a sniper or something else, you know, hitting your guy that has to, you have to count on to really hit these troops as they come in. Um, you get sapper supplies where you can either set explosives outside the building as a trap or you can uh, use them to um, repair your structural, the structural foundations of the building so that it doesn't fall over. Um, there, There is a lot to this game besides this. I feel like the siege is kind of the center piece of it, but the game is played around that. Uh, and and it's, it's really, really good. In fact, if you're, if you're doing well enough that you think my tracks are empty and there's no one coming to get you, then you can actually go on these storm raids out to other buildings and collect other points. Um, and I think there's now a steam version of this. I don't think it's an iOS version, but a steam version. Uh, and I haven't played that yet because I really just enjoy setting up it on my table, but, uh, this is one of the only, uh, siege style games that I like. And that I would recommend and I, I actually like it a lot. Yeah. I, so I, before we started recording, before we went live, I, I was like, how much do I blast the States of siege series? Look, you like what you like. I just don't like the constant uh, hordes moving in on tracks and a never ending stream of bad guys that you just, it just feels insurmountable. It's just not fun for me. And states, uh, so I played some of them like uh, Ottoman Sunset. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I should have looked all these up before. Uh, but I will say this the fact that Pavlov's house has the other aspects of it and it's not just that one thing that you're trying to do in that game sounds compelling it sounds interesting and yeah i'm looking at it and a lot of these 
the States of Siege series sounds good on the surface level. Ottoman Sunset, Cruel Necessity, those are the two I've played. But then um, Zulu's on the Rampart and Dawn of the Zeds are both super popular and people really enjoy those. I really don't because it's just, it's just not fun. It's just not. Um, whereas this this sounds fun. So yay for putting one on my radar that you and I feel similar here, JT, about States of Siege, yet you enjoy Pavlov's house. So all right, I'll give it a look. I do. And if, if you're looking at the rest of the series, I, I had Castle Iter and I ended up trading it away. Uh, it's it's a little bit less. It doesn't have those three areas. It's more, it had the more of a feel to me of the traditional kind of siege. There are some interesting elements to that game, but if you're looking for for me, I was choosing between Pavlov's House and Castle Itter, and it was no contest. And I thought, I don't need both of these on my my table or on my shelf. So I, I ended up getting rid of that one. And I missed the Kickstarter for Soldiers and Postman's Uniforms. I've heard good things about it, but I honestly don't know that much. And uh, it's funny, when I was going through making my list, especially my secondary list of games that I want to play, that or at least find out more about, my other 19 games that I'll talk about here briefly, um, Castle Itter, I was like, ooh, because the theme appealed to me. And then I was like, oh, it's basically States of Siege. Nope, nope. I'll pass. Thanks. All right. So anything, uh, Liz, anything on that? You'll hear from me in a minute. Number five. Uh, hey, hi. Uh, I get to I get to join in here. Um, so mine's uh, the Wars of Marcus Aurelius, and this one's uh, designed. You mean another siege game? Yeah. So on that note, um, the only th- reason it's here is because I had to put five. I felt like um, number one and number two the the time period fit. Um, so the other, the other, uh, like siege type games that I have played are like, uh, field commander, which they are not states of siege to be clear, but field commander, Rommel field commander, Napoleon, I haven't played field commander Alexander, but if I was going to enjoy one, it probably would have been the latter because of the time period. And so wars of Marcus Aurelius is from Holland spiel, although this isn't a Amabel, uh, designed this one, as you mentioned earlier, Robert Deliski. And it's the one I enjoyed the most of games that I was like, yeah, all right. They're just, again, it's a siege game, so not my favorite. And I realize I'm not really selling it well, I understand, but I tried to put five of my 13 on here. So there's my five. Well, y'all, you both y'all have played it, have you not? Oh yes, many times. Um, so why don't we just step and, in here and and hold on? Wait, 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 no, no, no. I actually learned. I learned how to play that from your video, as you should. And I'm going to take this moment, despite the fact that I adore you, to be glad that I'm not Dice Tower. This ain't the Dice Tower because fuck you and your opinions about States of Siege, Edward. <laughs> hey. It, you have the right no. to be wrong. No, clearly this is something that I know it's a me thing because I know they're popular. So look, I understand it. It's just not what I consider so, fun, but go ahead, bring it. Because Come my on. number five take is in fact Dawn of the Zeds. It is a fantastic game. And like, you're of course, it's a zombie game. You're supposed to have endless hordes coming towards you. Like that's literally the point of something about zombies, man. <laughs> but I love Dawn of the Zeds. Uh, there's always fun little surprises. I like the way the die rolls work. Uh, 
I really enjoy um, just the kind of stress of trying to keep yourself in ammo and supplies. The little characters that you can play are fun. Like, I like the dog. There's a horse. It's hilarious. Um, <laughs> but I think that if you're going to play a States of Siege game, Dawn of the Dead is probably the most complicated. It's also the best in its vein. Uh, interestingly, I decided to include this list anyway because the, the second edition is solo only. The third edition, which I now have, is like one to five players. But like, why? Why? Why would you ever do that? Um, <laughs> um, I'm trying to figure out how that would work. How would you even have multiple? Yeah, I, I don't know. No, uh, this, uh, no, but it, I, it's a great game. It, it really captures the tension of encroaching zombies. There are, you know, uh, refugees who don't even realize that they are in danger because they're like defiant and those zombies aren't real. And you have to go and kind of get them on your side or the zombies show up and they realize real quick, that, oh, wait, this is real. They start running towards you. Uh, there's all kinds of just gift to manage the infection rate. It's just a really delightful game. I like it a lot. Um, but I also enjoy zombie movies and zombie hordes. So there you go. I, and I'll agree with you. I think that's, I hadn't thought of this before, but a zombie theme is the one theme where I would think this makes total sense. So. Agreed. That <laughs> may, yes. Yeah, I may go with you on that. Okay, number five. Um, oh, this, I feel so bad ranking this number five because it could be higher. Uh, but then I've got four others that I like too. But it is the one that is currently set up on my table over here. It is enemy action. Enemy nice. action Ardennes. Um, this is a John Butterfield design Battle of the Bulge World War II hex encounter war game that uh, is probably. Uh, here's how I'll sum it up. I think the AI in this game feels the most like playing a real opponent of any solitaire game I've played. Uh, it is. I, I. And this is one that you'll see one to two players on it because in this box, you actually get three separate totally separate games. So you'll get three maps, you'll get three rule books. One of the maps is a two-player version of the game where you can use the same mechanics to play a two-player version of it. You'll get a German sol solitaire map and you'll get an allied solitaire map with their own separate rule books, with their own card decks. So, you know, when you see the price tag on this and it's something insane, like $180 or $120, something like that, don't pay that much for it, by the way. Uh, go to NWS Wargaming or wait for a sale and get it for 80 bucks. Um, but realize it's funny that used to be expensive until you go anyway, moving yeah. on. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go well, ahead. it's not Eagle Griffin production either. This is paper maps and white. Court it, it is totally different animal. I understand, but yes, I got you. Yeah. So I, I don't feel bad about putting this on the one player only list because just play one of the two solitaire games, but you play the allied side or the German side. I enjoy the, the German side a little bit more because you're, you're with the allied side in any battle of the bulge game, you're just trying to keep them from breaking through the line and trying to, to contain the bulge um, in this German offensive. But I, I like, I like playing the, the offensive, but it's, it's such a good um, and smart and reactive solitaire system that uh, again, I feel like I am playing against a real player. So it's my number five, but oh, this, this could go higher if you really pushed me on it. For me, this, when I, when I early on, we'll call it, I don't know, 2013, 2014, 2015, when I was really trying to figure out what it is I liked uh, in this hobby, you know, where my tastes were. Uh, Enemy Action Arden definitely uh, piqued my interest because this originally came out, yeah, in 2015, I think. And I think I, I think I have gone to where I'm like, yeah, I don't know that I really want a traditional big hex encounter war game like this anymore. And so... 
but yet my most anticipated game that I own that I haven't played is a Hex Encounter war game, but I digress. <laughs> I'm so glad that you've like had these words of praise for Enemy Action Arden because I actually picked this up recently with the intention to learn it. So I am happy to hear that it's that I made a good purchase. I, I think this is is totally worth your money. I will warn you though, this rule book is what? 62 pages, 63 pages of Fortunately, it's got some some examples in it, but it's this is a a a step up dense. It is yes. it is a hex encounter war game with a solitaire system on it. So you're you're getting a little bit of the complexity of both of those, uh, but it, it's not fields of fire. <laughs> <laughs> and and to be clear, now um, I I think both y'all would agree that there should be two kind of weight ratings on BGG. There should be the uh, war game weight rating and then everything else weight rating because it just doesn't a a, a 3.5 in war game speak is way heavier than any euro that you're ever going to try and play um but and enemy action ardan comes in at like 4.2 it's legit this is a this is a big game like as far as rules density i would say yep but it's not it, it's really not that bad the the rule book explains everything very well i have very few questions when i play this and there are a lot of pictorial examples in it that help you understand how things are played. So if you're going to condense this down to GMC GMT-sized print and columns, I would say this is a 30-page rulebook rather than a 63-page rulebook. Well, that's encouraging. All right. All right. So moving on. My number four is... Uh, off the beaten path, for sure. Uh, I've actually streamed this, I think, twice now. It is a little game that was not at all on my radar when I stumbled upon it in, uh, at Essen uh, a couple years back. And that's uh, Fish Farewell Forever. And this one, it's just, it's quirky. Uh, it's it's a, a I'm, you know what? I don't even want to, I think Pawn, the designer is Japanese. I believe he is. Uh, according to the rules, it's a single-player card game designed to free the masses of their suffering from earthly desires. So, it's a game in which you're trying to get rid... It's a single deck of cards in which you're trying to get rid of all the cards based on the rules. It's, it's a very mechanically simple game that is insanely frustrating to succeed at. And as if the game itself isn't uh, hard enough to succeed at, there are bonus goals, like, and it helps you put the game back in the box as points that you reward yourself. It's, it's just a quirky, off-the-beaten-path game that I was surprisingly smitten with when I played it. And again, I've only played 13 solo-only games. So my pickings were slim to pick from. But that said, uh, Fish Farewell Forever, um, my number four. Have either of you played this? No, I've heard of it, but I never was able to get my hands on a copy. I, I can let you borrow mine if you would like. Mm -hmm. I don't even remember you streaming this game. So I, I am a complete loss on this one. Uh, excellent. So, hey, there we go. All right. I'm happy about that. That's something that not really on your radar. Good. 
All right, Liz, what you got? Number four. Number four. All right, so my number four is already been mentioned. Uh, my number four is Nemo's War. I really like it. I don't really mind having a bad die roll here and there. Um, and I don't know. I find that Nemo's War has so many cool little choices and so much flavor that it's really the emergent storyline that does it for me. I'm very, like, theme-oriented. So if you have a theme that really hits home for me, I'm going to be a sucker for it. So, you know, I think Nemo's War captures all the interesting parts of 10,000 Leagues Under the Sea. <laughs> and uh, I, I like that all the different, you know, sort of, I like that all the certain sort of the different orientations and like priorities you can have for, for Nemo really do change the game up. There's lots of little fun choices like, okay, am I going to attack a ship in this way? Or am I going to go all out and risk stuff? Do I want to salvage? Do I want to, you know, take things for tonnage? What kind of fights do I want to get into? Um, you know, how am I going to try to mitigate these roles? What can I do? I, I think that for me, even though the game can swing, it's the flavor text and just the vibe and the feeling that I really did go on an adventure every time I play it that keeps me keeps me coming back. I have learned that even though theme really is secondary or tertiary for me when it comes to multiplayer games, when it comes to solitaire, theme plays a way bigger part for me than I would have ever anticipated. And you're going to hear about Nemo's War from me when we get to the other list, which is... Technically, it should be on this list. I agree with y'all. <laughs> who the hell plays Nemo's War multiplayer? No one. Right? Seriously. Actually, right. fun fact, the Latin word Nemo means no one. So Nemo just means no one. All right. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> Dropping knowledge. That is All right, JT. That's something you'll not find on any other podcast, I promise. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yep. And... I like uh, you, you added one thing that I think is important there, the, the cards, the flavor text on those cards, reading that and saying, here is what we're actually doing. It's not just a die roll. It's do I survive this whale who's trying to eat me? Right. Yep. Right. All right. Okay. So you're number four, number four Peloponnesian War. Uh, I know that this is technically now two players, but again, if you've played it two players, you're doing it wrong. Um, <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> uh, this is a game that uh, here's what I like about it. It's it. it I think Edward mentioned earlier, but it's a game where you are switching sides. I've never played a game like this before. I don't know that there are any other solitaire games like this either. So it's brilliant. But you are. I, it really is unique. I, I've never heard of any other game in which you. I know you can play games multi-handed like you can play the difference. This game, it's actually a, 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 a feature of it in that certain things trigger when you switch sides. It's genius. And so you start off as Sparta and I think you start off as Sparta and you are are trying to attack Athens. Start, yeah. You start off as Athens, I think. Athens, maybe, but maybe that was it. Anyway. anyway, one of those two. You start off as Sparta or Athens, and you're attacking the other side. And when you win sieges or you win battles, you get points. But you're what this little index, uh, I think it's called the SCI. This index will also increase. And at the end of each turn, you roll a dice, and if you get six or more on that die roll, you switch sides. So the better you do with the sides you are playing, the more points you're scoring with it the more likely it is at the end of your turn, you're going to have to switch sides. And so it's, there's a little bit of a pressure luck element to it saying, I'm going to go all out and I'm going to hammer Athens this turn. And I'm going to score as many points as I can, because I'm probably switching sides. But then you realize you switch sides and Athens has no money left. And they have all these Spartan troops all over the board and there's rebellion everywhere. And you can't score any points. The other thing that's really interesting about this game is, um, and I don't remember this rule exactly, but 
there is a truce mechanic. So if if both sides get hammered, then uh, they declare a truce, and there go four of your ten turns in the game. I think so. You you lose a bunch of time in the game, and you're just trying to score 150 points. And this, um, I was so excited because I got to the end of the game and I had 150 points, and I thought I finally I have finally beat this thing. And then I looked in the rule book, and it actually requires you to have more than 150 points to win. And I was so mad, and I put it back in the box, and I haven't pulled it out since. But that was <laughs> that was a couple months ago. But uh, here's what I here's why I put this game on my list. I don't know how to play it well. I've played this game a dozen times and I still don't know if I am playing it well or not. Every time I think I have a good strategy and here's what I'm going to do to score my points or even try and game the system, I, I it falls apart and it doesn't work. Um, and so I I just I am still trying to crack this nut. It is one that I find really, really interesting, both in its mechanics and in the different strategies you can try. It's really a wide open game. It doesn't tell you, you know, go and do this. It says pick an objective, go take this city, go cause rebellion here, see what happens. Um, my complaint with it is there are a lot of edge cases that are not covered in the rule book. Um, it's even on the forums sometimes you can't really find a straight answer to things. So uh, I would follow Mark Herman's advice and, and pick a way to play it and have fun. I played it on stream mark was uh in chat and he was he was gracious enough to help out with some of those some of those situations that i ran into and i was really enamored with this when i played it it's just a matter of when do i get it back to the table and i love the idea that you get to switch sides and that the game dictates that and when i first heard about this i actually have the original version of it which is pretty much obsolete at this point now that the new version has come out it's prettier it's better it's just across the board a better version of the game and i would like to play it more than i'm able to but yeah that would definitely be on this list if i didn't follow the rules and i think the, the most tedious part of the game is calculating your routes you're supposed to take the shortest route to your objective um and you can set up places where you're going to recruit troops that kind of go around the board and skirt certain places you're trying to avoid, but calculating, trying to figure out what the shortest route is, is very tedious. And I think somebody has actually designed an app or a web page. I haven't used it yet that you can put in your destination and some of the conditions on the board. And it will tell you here is your route, which would make the game even better. Yeah. But that, even that sounds uh, like a pain not in as the bad ass, as counting wait, one, two, three, four, five, <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, fair, no, okay. One, fair. two, three. Yeah. Yes. It's, no, that doesn't it's no, better yeah. than that. You're not wrong. I got to try this Fair. game. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's um, I had a lot of fun with it. Just like like JT said, some of the edge cases got frustrating at times, though. All right, uh, moving on. My number three was a game that. Uh, uh, I didn't expect to like as much as I did, I guess. Um, and that's under Falling Skies from Czech Games Edition. It was originally a, I believe, a print and play game uh, originally, but I played the uh, published version from Czech Games. And I like the, f it's, I don't want to say it's a tower defense. Aliens are attacking your city, whether it's Roswell, New York or whatever. And it's a dice placement game in that you roll dice and you have to allocate these dice to do certain things. And you're never going to be able to do as many things as you want to or as you need to do. You want to excavate more rooms, which give you more powerful 
benefits, which allow you to fight off the horde. And it's it's it is a bit of an efficiency engine, as well as luck of the draw or luck of the die roll, as it were. But in a lot of ways, it's a making lemonade out of lemons with your dice rolls that I found that it plays surprisingly quick. It's what, maybe a 20, 30 minute game and really enjoyed it. And there's a campaign mode in it that I haven't tried yet that you can, you can just unlock things as you go along. I thought it was pretty cool. Have either of y'all got into uh, under falling skies? I've got it in shrink. It's waiting. It's awaiting my attention. I have. Okay. Uh, I've played it a couple times it's on my desk over here. Um, it's on my honorable mention list. But, but yeah, it is a good one. Okay, fair enough. All right, so number three, Liz. All right, um, so my number three is actually the kind of update to Wars of Marcus Aurelius. It is Stilico, Last of the Romans, also designed by Robert Dulesky. And I think that if you just dismiss it as merely a siege game, I think you're missing out. Um, these games are fun extra fun for me in the sense that I love the card play aspect where you have to discard cards either to make stuff happen on the board if you need to, you know, build some defenses or go to battle or do different things. You have to play the cards, but the cards also have events on them that are very useful potentially and that you might not want to give up. So having to make unpleasant choices with how to spend limited resources is, I think, the real heart of the game. And I also like that in terms of siege aspects um this is real roman enemies you know rome actually did have sort of a state of siege problem at all times on the border <laughs> but um i like that you can force treaties that then don't last so you don't actually know how long uh one of your enemies is going to stay quiet because they really might not like you have to see if they're going to be like that nah, screw it and then like, come after you and i love that aspect and also deleski's really done his research in terms of making it work in terms of kind of describing the problems that a Roman emperor in the terms of Marcus Aurelius or a general in, in the case of Stilicho would be having, you know, the real life Stilicho lost by like turn three on this game, because it's not just the war parts. You have other issues. So like there's Olympias at home. Who's like dripping poison about how horrible you are and trying to get you killed. Uh, you know, in wars of Marcus Aurelius, there's an Eastern front that you're not even looking at, but problems can emerge over there because yes, there were some problems over there. And just as a fun way to try to juggle the issues of an emperor, uh, or a general or somebody who's really kind of having to deal with these high level problems, persistently i think it's just such a fun way to model that and also like i i really like it just it's a relaxing game they're not that long they're the rules overhead is not huge so if i want to just play a game in the evening and i feel roman-ish which i always do uh something like marcus aurelius or silico is gonna be perfect for me and so mm -hmm. oh go go ahead finish the no, thought it's gonna be perfect for me i love it so so tell folks what do you have your phd in ancient christianity which, but also, what 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 is your kind of wheelhouse? Uh, so my wheelhouse is actually Coptic monasticism. I wrote my dissertation about like the sermons of a Coptic monk named Shenouda, who was kind of an asshole. Uh, which I was going Roman like, history here, but okay, it's Roman fine. Egypt. All right, it's Roman Egypt. Yes. So the Roman Empire right. is large, and I ended up studying. I mean, I had to read stuff in Latin and Greek and from other church fathers. But okay, the other thing that y'all should probably be aware of if you're going to do later Roman history is that the center of what is interesting in Rome shifts away from Rome and towards the east. So like all those creeds y'all are saying in church on Sunday, those are written by a bunch of Middle Eastern guys. And 
Rome didn't have as much to do with it as you would like. Um, the first popes of Rome are not really that big a deal until later. Um, <laughs> you know, the, it's it's really other places in the Roman Empire where all the good stuff is happening in terms of thought and I'm just arguments. And the whole point of that was just, I mean, this is right in your wheelhouse. It is. Oh, yeah. What you dig. Well, so. Marcus Aurelius, that game... If you don't look up what's on the cards, like that, oh, Faustina card. If you don't know what he's referring to, you're missing the joke. So Faustina, when at one point she's, so she's Marcus Aurelius's wife. At one point she thought he was dead. And she's like, obviously the best thing for me to do is go find a new emperor and get with this guy and we'll make a new power couple. But then it turns out that Marcus Aurelius is still alive and like chaos ensues. (laughs) Or, like, one of the cards in there refers to, like, a false prophet that they made fun of that had, like, a talking snake, but apparently Marcus Aurelius kind of fell for it. There's all kinds of weird little Easter eggs in these games. It just, it warms my heart. I appreciate, see, and I knew I could wind you up and just, there you go. So thank you for that, Liz. That's good. (laughs) All right, so your number three, Stilico, uh, Last of the Romans. Yeah, I actually ordered Stilico on the uh, the Hollenspiel sale, so I'm hoping to get that sometime soon. Uh, my number three is uh, from DVG Games. It's Thunderbolt Apache Leader. So there are a, a bunch of games in this leader series. So I have Phantom Leader. There's Hornet Leader. There's, um, I think, Sherman Leader. There's a Tank Leader. Um, but but these the gist of all these games is that you are you have a set of of assets. So planes or, or tanks or helicopters in this one. And you're outfitting them with both pilots and with uh, weaponry. So you're you're deciding which bombs and missiles you're going to put on these aircraft. Uh, And then you get a target and you're flying in and and trying to take out the target. And for me, I don't enjoy these games terribly. So like Phantom Leader, I could take or leave. Um, Wasn't a big fan of, of Hornet Leader either, but Thunderbolt... Me either, which was a bummer, considering that's what I did when so I was in So Thunderbolt's Apache Leader is a little bit different. I feel like they're, <clears throat> you do all this together, or excuse me, you do all the preparation work, which is really 90% of the game in these other ones. But then with Thunderbolt Apache Leader, you're also, you've got a hex uh, terrain system that you've set up. The, the enemies are all on this this different, these different terrain hexes, and then you're flying through them and bombing. And you've got a, it, there's a lot of decisions you make as you're actually going through the bombing run and, and trying to take out these enemies. Uh, that is more than just you know sending your plane in with its missiles and rolling the dice to see what happens, which is what I feel like happens in the other leader games. But this one I really really like because um, the whole the whole game from start to finish for me is a lot of decisions. It's do I oh I missed this guy I didn't get this one bombed so what do I do Do I send in my thunderbolts over here Do my Apaches come here I have a Hornet that's coming in this direction or I've got a Harrier that's you know do I and it's I don't know to me it's it's much more decision laden than the other leader games and this one tells for me a better story than the rest of them and and I just think it's a lot of fun you're going in and you're you're bombing a bunch of stuff so it's great number three So, uh, number two, we've already talked about my number two, Black Sonata. Uh, I I like how clever the way you set up the deck. I like uh, the way it ties the theme in. 
And it just, it's just a clever deduction game. I mean, it's everything that, that Liz already talked about. And it's just, it's a small footprint, doesn't take up a whole lot of room. And it has nearly endless replayability because of the way you can set the deck up. You can do it uh, alphabetically forwards and backwards. And there's just, unless you're some sort of savant, you're never going to memorize uh, the way that the uh, the Dark Lady moves. And it's just, it was just a lot of fun for a deduction game that blew me away when I had zero expectation of it. And so that's why I have it at number two. Liz? All right, so my number two has already been mentioned as well. It's Pavlov's House. Uh, I really liked, I love those David Thompson games. Um, and Pavlov's House is my favorite mainly because I like the operational aspect of it. The uh, Castle Iter and Soldiers and Postman's uniforms are both more tactical, where you have mostly the building with, you know, streams of, of enemies leading towards the building. Whereas in Pavlov's House, you have that operational aspect where you have to choose what resources you're going to be keeping. Can, are you going to try to feed the guys in the house? Are you going to deal with anti-aircraft? Are you going to try to, you know get some extra stuff by keeping the radio intact. You know, there's a lot of really cool stuff going on in the game. Um, but I just wanted to note, I just didn't note this before because I didn't want to, I didn't want to, to, to talk about everything I had to talk about with these games early. But um, I'm, David Thompson is an amazing researcher. And I think that's what I love the most about his games. Not only are they fun, but every detail is, is rooted in something that's real. So he tries his best to find photos of the actual people involved. Like, those are actually the people, to the best of his knowledge. Um, you know, the he has gotten excited before. Like, I've gotten Facebook messages from, from David Thompson about, like, I found a blueprint of the building, the post office, or soldiers and post and uniforms. You know, he's really trying to do an accurate story historically he's also really working to tell a human story um that may show up the most so far in soldiers and postman's uniforms where there are civilians including a little girl uh in the house in the post office and so you know he wants you to feel that emotional kick from trying to defend her knowing you're not going to probably you can maybe help people escape um and I just love the level of detail that goes into these. Or like we mentioned by Stealth and Sea, you know, he spent months looking at logs of what ships were and were not in various ports so that he could actually put accurate ship names in the harbors. I appreciate to to blow that. Up. <laughs> That's awesome. I appreciate that level of attention and detail, even if it's not necessary. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's just it's such a labor of love and you could feel it in the game. And what makes Pavlov's House in particular very cool is that Pavlov's House is very much a propaganda instrument for Russia, obviously, because it's a, it's a seriously it's a truly valiant defense. There's no question. Um, but, you know, it's there's tends to be a ten, there's a tendency to exaggerate. You know, the house was all alone. There was no support at all. This happened. That happened. So like Thompson's recreation of who was really there and like what support they might have been getting. It's it's so cool to me because it's a game, but it's also an actual historical argument based on documents that's not always available if you don't know a lot about this topic. And I don't know, for me, that's just that's the full package in terms of interest and fun. So it just really does it for me. And, and this is why y'all are here today. There you go. Um, and uh, on that note, I've said this countless times, but one of the things that I love most about uh, this hobby, and especially when it comes to war games, is it 
usually shines a light on a, or it has the ability to shine a light on something that either I know nothing about or I know very little about, and it usually will pique my interest enough to go learn more about what it is, whatever that may yeah, be. Yeah, I think on this one, it might have just been the Kickstarter version, but it has a whole separate play, not a playbook, but a historical reference. So it tells you the whole story of Pavlov's house and <laughs> everybody involved. And I didn't realize this until you said it, but you do get kind of more, I don't know if it's emotionally involved in the game, but the the counters with the little pictures of the guy's face on it, I have more of a connection with because I realize that when I am when I know that there's going to be some people dying, when I'm sending them out on one of those raids, I always pick the the ones where they don't have a picture and it's just a black silhouette. The, st- the stats are all the same, but I think, okay, this guy doesn't have a picture. We'll send him. Yeah. I mean, it's out to you faceless. It, nothing. It, it's, a whole <laughs> lot, it's a whole lot easier. That that is that is very, very true. Uh, all right. So what do we got? Number two, JT. My number two. Uh, so my number two is Comancheria. And I think I'm saying that right. Comancheria, I'm pretty sure. The accent's on the I. <laughs> okay, Comancheria. And I'm actually going to group this in with Navajo Wars. I've only played Navajo Wars one time, but it's uh, I prefer Comancheria over that. So if you want to see how I compare the two games, it's do you like playing... Vinos 2010 versus Vinos 2016. Do you want to just survive or do you want to actually build a company and run it? Um, Comancheria is the story of the, the, the Comanche Empire uh, in the central United States. And it's it's interesting to me, I think better than than Navajo Wars because the first three, there's four eras that you play. The first three areas, your eras, you're actually building the empire. You you can go out and conquer territory and defeat other tribes. Um, and the, the armies that are sending against you rarely... Um, are, are successful and, and you build basically the, the wind conditions for each era are to build your, your empire until it's, it's filling a lot of this area on the board. And then the fourth era is where the U S army comes in and it's just going to mow through everything. And there you're just trying to survive. You're seeing how can I build a big enough empire that I have enough left on the board where that are not ending up in the reservation at the end of the game. This has a ton of decisions in it. This is what I really like. It's it's a game where every turn you think, okay, am I going to go? Am I going to raid? Am I going to go trading? Am I going to go hunt buffalo? What do I need to do? Uh, you get a real feel of of being um, in control of what is happening in the game, and you're also have a, there's also a tableau building ex- <clears throat> component to it where you're using your what are they called culture points to buy these cards that give you of different abilities. So how do you want your culture to evolve as a people? Um, is it going to be focused on, on your leaders and being able to keep your leaders and have more power with your, your Paribo and your um, Mahimiana, I think it's called uh, your war leader and your, your kind of cultural leader. Uh, do you want to evolve so that you have more horse skills, more war fighting skills, and, and you kind of get to grow the people the way you want them to uh, and, and play the game in different ways. It's uh, also a really easy game to lose. I still have never made it all the way to the end and, and won, but um, it's it's one that I, I really I really, really appreciate the scope of it. I appreciate the AI that's very well done, and I think this runs a little bit easier than Navajo Wars, but it's uh, one that once you, you learn the flowcharts, it plays very quickly, very intuitively, and uh, really gives you, I think, a, an awesome solitaire experience. So, confession to make, uh, I just realized while you're talking about this, I was like, Wait a minute. I know this is solo, but did I, I 
I dropped a ball, so this should be on my list, and there's one other that should be on my list as well. So I apologize to everybody for that. But yeah, uh, I've only played it. Uh, I've only played the intro scenario in this, or you know, the I think it's an intro scenario that basically it shortens the game. I've yet to play the whole thing, and I am amazed at how well it does that in a way that the AI. It's not a hard. Some games. The uh, flowchart on how to run the game is exceedingly difficult or exceedingly complex and just not intuitive. I didn't find that when I did that with this game. Now, speaking about uh, Comancheria as opposed to Navajo Wars, which, like you said, I started with the easier of the two. I haven't gotten to Navajo Wars yet, but not only all of those things kind of like what I had said earlier about the history. I don't know a whole lot about the native tribes here in the U.S., but and it's never been a huge point of interest for me until I start playing the game. And once I play the game, now I want to find out more. And yeah, this definitely would be way up on my list if I realized that it was so lonely. So sorry about that. Liz, have you played this? Yes, yes, I have. Um, Not enough times for me to feel totally committed. I really like it. It's just that it's, you know, it's been harder and harder for me to get it to the table in the last couple of years. It's a bigger game and it's it's it it takes a while to get through or at least it it has for me. How about you, JT? Because you've played the whole kit and caboodle on this one. It's no, it's long. Uh, And I might just take a long time when I'm playing it because I'm really trying to figure out what to do. You can't make decisions lightly in this game. If you blow yeah. something where you, you know, you run out of supplies or you, <laughs> um, you might get to the end of your era and go, oh, there's no way I can fulfill the win condition. So it's one that you really need to spend some time thinking about, but it takes me at least two hours per era. And you can, the intro scenario is to right. play the first era and you can actually have it set up to play any of the four eras. So you can start on one and, and play from there if you want. But to play the full game, it's, it's like an eight or 10 hour adventure. Yeah. Right. So fair enough. Uh, the other one that I dropped the ball on um, before we get to our number ones is uh, Space Infantry Federation. I don't know if either of y'all have played any of those uh, from Nathan Hansen. So the one thing that I wasn't super keen on was the it needs a player aid. It's in desperate need of a player aid. That said, it has a incredibly clever um, AI uh uh, flow chart, not flow chart. I'm forming this uh, poor or uh, phrasing this poorly. The way it chooses its actions is really, really clever. And it's, it's a space game in which you are running a space infantry military and you're fighting off uh, some bad guys, whatever space stuff, sci-fi. But the, the thing that I took away from this game was how in, how smart and how clever the AI runs and how easy it is to do so. And I, I thought this was a one and two player game as well. So my apologies, but space infantry uh, Federation also would have been on my list. Uh, JT, you smiled. Have you played this at all? No, this is one that I totally want to play though. I've been looking at this for a while and I, it's definitely on my list, but it's, it's one that I think is right up my alley. And and Liz, this, this wasn't on your radar, Mm -hmm. was it? All right, cool.
my number one is a game that I, how do I word this? Uh, thought it would be kind of a throwaway and it ends up being my favorite solo game. Um, and this is a uh, Lux Air Turna from, uh, from Tony Boydell. Uh, it's a real time game in which um, it's, it's, I hate real-time games. I don't like the pressure <laughs> of the clock. I don't like um, uh, just the premise of it to where you have 15 minutes to before you're going to end up in this black hole. And basically everything that can go wrong is going wrong with your ship. And you have to address damage. Uh, you have to address um, damage to your ship, but also getting away from uh, not advancing too quickly into this uh, the 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 path in towards the black hole, and it's and it's all done in real time. Again, I hate real time games. However, the timer in this and the rules say you do not have to use a timer. It's a ten to fifteen minute game. Yet I was absolutely blown away at how much I enjoyed this game. And during the game, Tony and Matthias Naj of uh, Frosted Games, they were in chat and they were talking about, well, if you like this, you're going to like the, the new one coming out even more. And that's uh, Aleph Null. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Um, I don't know if it's out yet. I haven't played it. But Lux Arterna, just give it a try. Just go and get a copy. This is the most fun you will ever have in a 15 minute stress inducing game just completely blown away at how much i like this game have either of y'all played it i've been avoiding it because of the stress aspects but maybe okay I'll fair have enough to override that it's it's so good it's so good and even the graphic design on the cards is kind of kitschy sci-fi just it just feels right and it's just it's just a lot of fun it really is it's funny, y'all are breaking out these big games, and I'm like, oh, Fish Farewell Forever. It's a 15-minute game. Like, I have, here's Heavy Cardboard talking about all these, like, essentially filler games, but I haven't played these bigger solo-only games. It's okay. So. Not all elephants are the same size. Thank you. <laughs> oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I... I I've looked at this one, and and to be honest, the description, the the real time aspect of the game, I just same. Off immediately. And I would so not, I, have, I would have never played this had this not been foisted upon me. And there was one of those days to where I'm like, I need something to stream, and I was like, oh, sure, I'll go ahead and do it. And I I played it uh, once before the stream, and I was like, dude, this is awesome. I cannot wait, and loved it. And I I hate real time games. There you go. All right, so Lux Air Turna, my number one, really, for real. Go play it. All right, Liz, what you got? All right, so for solo only, this is high up on my regular solo list too, but um, I I complain with Kevin Erskine endlessly about how this game needs to be ranked higher on the People's Choice list every year. It's Thunderbolt Apache Leader. I freaking love this game. I absolutely love Thunderbolt Apache Leader. Like, all of the pilots have the same like dad bod art with like the, there's even a pilot called Daddio and like I laugh about this when I'm putting my little squad together and I'm like no Daddio when I like lose him over like the <laughs> desert <laughs> and and grandpa there's, there's one there's like grandpa. and then there's also like pirate but they look exactly the same it's like hmm do y'all also go play volleyball together in these like little dad outfits. <laughs> 
but I no, I love this game. I love it because I like the alternation between how to spend points, right? Which is an obsession that I have. I love the prep. I also like deck construction. There might be something about this. Um, and, and character creation in yes. like D&D and RPGs. I'm right there with you. So I love the aspect where you're like, oh, how do I spend my points? Do I repair my ship? Do I hire someone new? Do I send my veteran pilot out again, even though he's like on the brink of losing his sanity? What do I do? And then there's like the actual like pew, pew, pew part where you're going over, you know, the little mass is like, oh, let me unload this amazing weapon. Oh, shit, my dime over it went wrong. No, now I only have these puny weapons. And then like, you know, the, the, the highs are so high and the lows are very low. And I've definitely I've lost good men out there that I couldn't retrieve. Um, but, (laughs) but it's just so much fun. Like I get it. Like you would think that I would not like a desert airplane modern game. Like I'm like, Oh, Rome is wonderful, you know? And, but then something like Thunderbolt Apache leader just came up and surprised me. And I just enduringly adore that game because every time I play it, it's so silly. And I, even though it's like a serious topic and I just, I just enjoy myself so much. Your enthusiasm just like now I want to go and play it. Like, yeah, I, I need to go get a copy. And because I, I have Hornet Leader oh, yeah. again, because, you know, personal tie. But I was like, eh. But the way y'all have talked about that one, I now I got to now I got to try it. Plus, Apaches are badass. Yeah, it's if you've ever seen one, those oh, yeah. are amazing. And the Thunderbolts in that game are even badder. So I have a true confession. You do not have to be interested in uh, aerial warfare to do that. Like I keep referring to all of the vessels, including the helicopters, as planes. It's I won't so judge. Bad. It's okay. Like, hey, hey. It's <laughs> it's like the person at the game who's like, "Is this sports ball?" And like they're watching baseball, and it's like, "I hope they get a touchdown soon." Like I'm like that. I still love this game. <laughs> And really, you can't do that because they operate so differently, right? The the the, uh, the hovering vehicles, so your Harrier and yeah. and your your Apaches, you can have them hover in an, in a hex and fire into adjacent hexes, kind of willy nilly, which is awesome. Whereas your planes, they have to have you're picking a trajectory as they yeah, enter yeah every they're, hex. they're yeah. called fast movers for a reason, right? They just yeah yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I had all to good. Learn. <laughs> hey, we we all have been there. All good. I'm glad that's high on your list. I thought because uh, uh, I, I worried about ranking it so highly on mine because I just really got into it about a month ago and I, I played it a lot. And I thought, is this just recency bias on my part or is this really one that's going to stand the test of time? So uh, I'm, I feel better about my list now. I, I truly feel this is one of the greats. I feel better about my recent war game purchases because of your list. So we've, we've benefited each other. Uh, so uh, enablers. <laughs> that's what we are. Enablers. Um, so I, I, I won't take the thunder. <laughs> Oh, away from you, JT. But I will say, without even hearing it, and the fact that I haven't heard it yet, I know what your number one game is. And, uh, dude, we have got to sit down and play this so you can teach me this game, please. This has been my most wanted to play the game for better part of half a decade, and I've yet to break it out. So, please, go ahead. My number one game is One Deck Dungeon. I'm just kidding. My number one game is D-Day at Omaha Beach. D-Day at Omaha Beach. Although, uh, let me let me go through my honorable mention list here because One Deck Dungeon is on my honorable <laughs> mention list. Uh, oh. it's, I, 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 D-Day at Omaha is another one I'm like waiting to play. It, You've got it, me yeah, first. I so uh, desperately want to play that game. But anyway, honorable mentions. Go for it. <laughs> honorable mention, The Hunters. I actually prefer Silent Victory because then you're the U.S. submarines in that game. Um, you can be the 
the at least good guys from my side of the ocean. Um, Black Sonata, McKee, Orchard. Um, one called Unbroken, which is kind of a little fantasy adventure game that despite probably what I would characterize as one of the more tumultuous Kickstarters in history is, is actually a pretty fun yeah. little game with atrocious artwork, in my opinion. But it's it's a it's a fun game. You can get your hands on that. Burgle Brothers, uh, that's one we actually will play that with my kids. They love it, um, but I'll play it solitaire as well. Uh, Friday, uh, it's it's a freedom and freeze game, and and then one deck dungeon. So those are my honorable mentions. But to get back to the the best solitaire game ever designed is uh, D Day at Omaha Beach. This is another game by it's the second John Butterfield design on my list after Enemy Action Ardennes. Um, it is the story of the invasion uh, of <clears throat> of Normandy. You're you're coming in. Uh, just to the beach and there's just two beach sections that you're you're invading and the game starts off very low so you're you're just sending in a couple units at a time and the, and in the early game you're rolling dice to see if they even make it to the beach or not maybe they sink maybe they get blown way off course and they end up on the other side but i, I look at that as kind of the random setup of each game you're seeing the story play out and going okay here's what i have to work with and at the beginning of the game you only have two actions and then there's that you can command people to do independently. And then they have self-preservation actions where if you're sitting there in the middle of the sand, you're certainly going to run towards the, um, one to run towards cover. This game is, is got one of the slickest AIs that, that I've played. It's very, very easy to run. I don't reference the rule book hardly at all when I'm playing this game anymore. There's a good flip book online that you can go through for each part of the turns. Um, but there's no dice. Uh, it's all in the random setup. So you're, you're putting, each of the German locations will have an upside down counter on it. And when you get close enough to it, you can flip that counter over. Then you see what weapons you need to be able to take this location out. It might be that you require, um, you know, naval, naval artillery, which by the way, that one sucks. That's hard to get. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but your, your units will start off. Um, your squads will start off with, with a full set of, a weaponry, but as they lose steps, they also lose some of their weapons. So you, the guy with the bazooka might have been lost. And you flip your counter over and you see what's left. Um, and so it's it's when you flip the German units over, you're trying to say, okay, I know I need these pieces to get this location uh, to take over this location. So it's maneuvering your guys around. Um, it's it's got such a a realistic vibe to this game, and it's really hard. Um, and it's it's really two parts of a game too. So I've won the first scenario where I feel like I've had a solid win. Uh, three times now and i probably played that first scenario 15 times uh, and then it goes into the you're up off the beachhead and into the bokage behind uh, the beach and there you're trying to establish exits and uh, make sure that the germans don't come in and get behind your lines the AI gets a little more complicated for that second part of the game but i know a lot of people who are perfectly happy just playing the first half of that game uh, and would still consider it one of the best solitaire games they've played so Every time I play this, I come away thinking this is my number one, and I don't have any qualms about that. I've heard that, just simply put, it's the best solitaire war game out there, period. Hard stop. And I really need to make the time to make that happen. So, yeah, I, it's been sitting in my library forever, and I'm ashamed to admit it. I actually was dragging my feet on making this list until I'd played it, but finally I was like, okay, let's just do it, and then we'll play it. It probably will end up being my number one, I anticipate. It's it's really good, and I just want to take a second and contrast it with another John Butterfield design that people really, really like, which is RAF. I don't like that game. 
So I, I know everybody loves it, but I felt like that game for me uh, suffered from two things that there was a, for each turn, there was a list on the board of 35 steps you would go through or something like that. And only, True. only four or five of them were ones where you were making a real meaningful decision. And it, it seemed to have a, a bug in the system where I, I called it just the go big or go home strategy, where it, if you could send up a bunch of planes and intercept a very small German, um, German bombing run, then you could, inflict heavy losses on those planes you could score a lot of points and if if you saw something heavy coming in it was in your best interest not even to send your planes up and and die which is not very thematic um Mm -hmm. but i i don't know i played that game quite a bit when i first got it and and kind of played it out and and my again my big problem with it was i just didn't feel like there was enough meaningful decisions to justify all the bookkeeping and all of the the actions you were taking it felt like the the game was kind of playing me and i was along for the ride rather than me really driving that game so but that being said, RAF is going to be near the top of a lot of people's lists because it does tell a great narrative story. There's a lot of tension with it, but it just wasn't for me. All right. So real quick, if you all don't mind, since I haven't, I, like I said, I played 13 solitaire, but more if, based on y'all's list, but I digress. Uh I have a list here of 19 games that I at least wanted to mention to folks that I have at least superficially looked at that I want to investigate. And y'all can either those watching as well as uh, Liz and uh, and JT chime in if you know, uh, like, yeah, be like, nah, maybe not. But whatever. Number one, D-Day at Omaha Beach. Enough said on that. Uh, Fields of Fire, we already talked about. Uh, Atlantic Chase, we've already talked about. Um, one that I'm kind of surprised uh, that I haven't heard from either one of y'all is Ambush. Like the game. Because, I mean, it's that, that that seems like such a cool, like it has paragraphs that you would like. It just, it, it just seemed like a really cool narrative type game. Okay. All right. So. It, it's hard it, it to is. Get. It is. Um, so then, uh, hostage negotiator, which we've talked about, uh, target for today. Uh, I, I, the, the second, uh, edition of the rules I need because I, there is pretty significant changes. And so I, that's, I borrowed a copy, but I, I need the second edition of the rules. Um, so you were, you just mentioned RAF where the game is, it's more or less the narrative that you're playing. That also applies to this next one, which I've heard really good things about, but B-17, Flying Fortress Leader. Uh, I've heard it just tells great stories, yeah. even if it's not much of a game in, in that regard. So I want to try that. Uh, Where There Is Discord is a, a game I, I want to say about the Falklands. No. Yeah. Okay. Um, where it's, uh, yeah, we're in the South Atlantic. Uh, this piqued my interest many, many years ago. Well, I say that relatively speaking, I've only been in a hobby since 2013, but so moving on final girl, we mentioned that as well. Uh, zero leader. So that there's another of the leader games and you know, whether it's, you know, Thunderbolt Apache, whether it's Hornet, all those, uh, zero leader. I kind of like the idea of playing the bad guys once in a while. Well, um, according to JT and in my experience, the one that I've played, Sounds like you're probably right. Uh, Utopia Engine is a print and play that is kind of a uh, post-apocalyptic Armageddon type game. Sounded interesting. Uh, There's another one, Doctor Who Solitaire Story Game, because again, narrative. Uh, 
I think if it didn't have the Doctor Who game, is it as good as it might be otherwise? I don't know, but there's one. Uh, the White Tribe, uh, Rhodesia War, 1966 to 1980. Reason that one went on my list, it was it's about a part of history in a part of the world's geography that I know almost nothing about. So that sounded interesting. Another uh, post-apocalyptic one called Everything Lost looked all right. Uh, the German invasion of England, June 8th, 1940, code word Cromwell. Uh, that, I debated putting it on here or not because it looks a little too uh, tactical for my liking, but it did take place on my birthday. So I was like, yeah, we'll keep it on there. Uh, a modern one. That isn't a war game, a gentle rain. So I stumbled on that and I was like, that just sounds and looks kind of chill and super. Yeah. Yeah. So there. Um, N, the uh, Napoleonic Wars, the letter N and no, the Napoleonic Wars. You're playing against France. You're pay playing against Napoleon. Uh, it looks really unique in the way the actions work and i don't think i mean it's unique ergo nothing else like it so that looked interesting even though i've heard that it is incredibly hard to win another um back to the states of siege type game but empires in america uh i heard the battles work differently in that one so i was like maybe and uh my number one most anticipated game since i've been in the hobby that i'm still waiting on that apparently is at the printer Mr. President. All right, so that is the first list in the books, the top 10 solo-only games. Now, the original plan was to make all of this one podcast, but honestly, it got to be, well, y'all just listened to it, it got to be too long. So we are cutting this off, so um, I guess cliffhanger y'all are gonna have to wait until next week to listen to part two which is a top 10 multiplayer games that we love playing solo and so big thanks to liz big thanks to jt and we'll catch you all next week see y'all then bye